Everybody, welcome to Conversations with Tom. I am here with legendary investor Ray Dalio. Ray, thank you so much for joining me today. Pleasure. So um, I really wish that we were connecting under better circumstances. Uh, I have made no secret about the fact that I learn more about business from principles, I think, than virtually any other business book um, that's completely influenced the way that we build our culture. Now with what's going on with the economic crisis, um, I find myself once again turning to what you're putting out um, and all the stuff that you're doing on LinkedIn is is really um, very insightful, taking a historical perspective. I'd love to hear a little bit about just sort of the thinking. Why are you going back through all the historical stuff right now? Well, as you know, uh, the same things happen over and over again through time for basically the same reasons. A lot of these things happen once in a lifetime, you know. And if you don't go back and see how they worked over time, then you're in, in trouble. So um, there's a pattern. I could describe the pattern, um, but there's a pattern that happens over and over again. And we're in a particular spot in the pattern. And then um, it, to understand it, not just because it happened before, but to understand mechanistically how it happens and then one has a sense of how to deal with it. So speaking of the mechanisms, what's influencing this more? When you started looking back into history, are you looking for um, this sort of moment in the death cycle or are you looking for pandemics, a collision of the two? Um, what do you think influences this more? Well, um, pandemics come along occasionally, but uh, anything that's important, let me, let me say the three most important circumstances that existed before we had the downturn, which was caused by a pandemic, but any downturn would have produced the same results. The three most important things that are happening in the world now are um, that we're at the end, late in a long-term debt cycle in which central banks cannot control monetary policy the same way. They can't lower interest rates, they, have, they can't get money to a lot of people who need the money um, in the traditional way. So just like in 1929 to 1932, there was a debt crisis that came as a result of an excessive amount of debt in the boom years. And then when you have that in 1932, we hit zero interest rates. And when they had, when they hit, zero interest rates in 32, like in 2008, central bank prints money um, and buys financial assets. When that, you talk about financial assets, this is one thing that even I found myself a little bit confused by. What What is a financial asset? Well, mostly bonds. Okay. Central bank is allowed to buy bonds and mostly government bonds. So if you were gonna describe what a bond is, like what's the easiest way to think about a bond? Um, when someone borrows for a number of years um, and has to pay back, makes a promise to deliver currency, that's a bond. And so one man's debts are another man's assets, which we call a bond, and that is a promise to deliver currency. And so what happens in these cycles is that normally uh, central banks can stimulate the economy by lowering interest rates. But when you hit zero interest rates, that doesn't work. So the last time it hit zero interest rates was 1932. And what they did in 1932 was the same thing they did in 2008. And that is that the central banks prints a lot of money and buys government bonds. And so we're doing that now. And just to be clear, the reason that they're doing that is so somebody has bought a government bond. The government is basically saying, hey, you, dear person, lend me the money. I'm going to build something, roads, whatever, but I'm going to pay you back in a year, two years, 10 years, whatever, um, plus interest, I would assume. That makes it worthwhile. Um, and the reason that the government is going in and buying those is to get back liquidity to the people that have loaned them that money. Yes, because think of it this way. The central government, and also companies and individuals, don't have the capacity to create money. So the central government has the right 
to determine they can tax people, they can get money from people, and they can spend money on whatever they want to spend money on, but they don't have the right to print money and create money and credit like the central bank does. Central bank is the Federal Reserve. Similarly, the Federal Reserve does not have the right to um, spend money and determine how it's spent. That's for Congress. All right. So, so before, because this can get so confusing and I'll play the role of the layman here and just make sure that we walk through things. So the Federal Reserve, I think most people think is a department of the government, but they're not. Are they a private bank? No, they're they're a part of the government that the government that the system has put into place. So to get the creation of money out of the political system. Okay, so it sits sort of outside of the political sphere of the government. um, It is within Congress, but it has a set of rules like the Supreme Court has a set of rules. That means that the president can't control it. The Congress can't control it, um, that it's operating in a uh, separate way. And so the important thing to know about this crisis and that it happened in the 1930s is that in order to get the checks that we're needing, you know, a lot of people, a lot of companies um, need checks. Now, where will those checks come from? So there'll be checks from the government. The type of support we're going to receive is two types of support. Where does all this money come from? So the, the government, when they say, I'm going to pay more for unemployment insurance, or I'm going to give you a loan for a small business, or so on, they where they, they get the money from? Well, they either tax it, but if they tax it, that's bad. So the government, they can borrow it. That's what a deficit is. The government runs a deficit. And then the question is, who's going to borrow it when everybody's financially strapped and the federal reserve says they have the power to print money and they will say, I will borrow it and I, I will lend you the money. So the federal reserve is lending the money and it is also lending others the money. All right. So really fast, when, when they print money, are they literally sending a Brinks truck with bags full of cash and distributing it through local banks? No, money is digital. Okay, so they're literally just making ledger adjustments in a digital file somewhere. Right. The important thing to know is that all that we think about money is not limited in any way. Like there's a certain amount of money out there. It's all make-believe. It's all digital. So they could change the digits and then they can create money. Now, that's an important consideration because if they can create money so easily, how do we know it's going to be a value when they're creating a lot of it? That's one of the considerations that are being faced today. But the main thing to know about this, stepping back for the big picture, is that every individual, every company, and every government has a certain amount of money that comes in in the form of income a certain amount of expenses that, and then a certain amount of savings. So you do individually and every, all your listeners do, and it works the same way for everyone. So that if their income falls and they don't less to be less than their expenditures, they're in trouble unless they have a good savings and then they go to the savings. So all around the world, there are lots of entities that are in trouble in that way. So the government, the two parts of the government, the US government, two parts, want to give checks to, to people. Now it's difficult to decide who gets it, who doesn't get it. But if they don't give checks to people or to companies, those will go bankrupt because they may not have enough savings. So you, you saw um, J. Crew went bankrupt, just went bankrupt. And you'll see others go bankrupt mm. because they don't have enough. And so when they go bankrupt, then that's a whole other process. So in order to prevent that, they have to give money. And so they print money. We call it print. There's not even paper much. It's digitally create money. 
and then that comes in the form of loans. Okay, so basically they're digitally creating money which they're allocating to the government and then the government is deciding how to disperse those funds? Yeah, the Federal Reserve will buy government bonds, so it's a transaction of buying it, mm -hmm. and that the and they will also buy private bonds. Okay. They might pick a company, um, at many companies, and they'll say, I will buy your bonds, which is the equivalent, I will lend to you. And that's what happens. Okay. And that's okay. happened through history. So what we're going through is the same process as happened in the 1930 to 1945 period. So as I was saying, there are three important things uh, that is one. The second is large wealth gap. Third is that um, we have a rising power in the form of China uh, emerging to compete or challenge the United States leadership. So when you have these three things together, um, it's, um, it's a challenging mix and it's happened repeatedly less effective monetary and credit system makes it they have to print a lot of money can threaten the value of money second uh when you have a large wealth gap and you have an economic downturn people are more inclined to have conflict so how that's dealt with we're going to reconsider how we're going to that wealth will be divided and that'll change taxes and relationships. And then the third is we're no longer in a world order where the United States is the only dominant power. These three things existed and the most important things existed. And then we had the downturn terms, uh, in terms of the virus. So you could think of the virus like being a tsunami that came and if it went and if we had not no more of it, it still would have left a lot of economic damage. So you in all different ways. So the the economic damage has to be understood and dealt with. Yeah. So the understood and dealt with is exactly why I wanted to talk to you. So I think that people that are familiar with finance and financial institutions and how the economy works and all that, um, they'll find their way through this. But for the average person who um, doesn't understand a lot of this. Like when you look at this historical perspective, I find a certain level of comfort in that because of the notion of another one of these, right? So we've seen this before. Maybe we haven't in our lifetime, but historically um, people have. So what can the average person take away from that? They don't have bonds. They, they don't think like that. They may not even understand what their 401k is, or they may not even have a 401k. So how do they navigate this? Is it just head down, do your best to weather the storm or is there actually something that they can learn from the historical perspective and move on now to make this easier for them? Yeah, it's the, it's the same for every individual, same for every company, same. And you, if you understand this, then you understand there, well, there are three things. Um, the first is look at your income, your expenses and your savings. And then do a stress test so that you get yourself secure. If you were to lose your income or if the income were to fall beyond a certain level and you play that out, maybe that means you go get unemployment insurance or whatever, how long can you live in an acceptable lifestyle? And do you have a savings that is adequate for that? Okay, so what you do is you calculate, if I lived in a simpler lifestyle and I had this amount of earnings, um, how many months, how many months or years could I live acceptably? Then you look at your, what, what do you put the money in? What do you save in? Don't you worry, and, though, that there's a, a level of financial literacy? So you're, you're saying the basics, right? And there's no question, like, get your blocking and tackling right before you start trying to get fancy. But 
Ray, I have legitimately started losing sleep over like how we help the average person through this. Um, I'm not a guy, I don't lose sleep over much, but when I stop and think about most people, I think the stat is the average American, if they're hit with a surprise $500 bill, um, they're not able to make it. They are living month to month. You've got 30 plus million people now um, out of work. It's, you know, it trying to figure out like, um, definitely basics, right? Uh, you've got, make sure that you're spending less than you make austerity first, cut, 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 get your expenses down to as low as they can a hundred percent. Um, what, what I'm hoping for is that there's, um, I don't know, there's something that we can see in, in this kind of transition where either you've got a new rising power, um, and there's opportunity with that. I'm trying to find that sort of ray of hope for people of what they can do to be proactive, either to generate more income if they've lost their income or um, to be more proactive in their 401k. I think about personal finance the way I think about health. And right now I worry that people are outsourcing everything to somebody else, to the government. They're, they have a wait and see approach. Um, and what I'm desperately trying to figure out for myself is what level of proactiveness of, of learning about their health they can do to try to weather this storm because short of just saving um, and cutting expenses and maybe that's it. Maybe there, there isn't any more that they can do, but I guess that's my direct question. Is there something well, I, more? Uh, I mean, you, you know, the parts, right? It's, it's income expenses and savings. Okay. Now you can go get the money. Maybe the money comes in and you say, okay, my unemployment benefits are going to be this or my, this is, the, but, um, those are the parts. Then the issue is, uh, how clever are you at, uh, dealing with those? Parts? Well, let me ask it another way then who, who should they be voting for? Like when you talk about a beautiful deleveraging, which one, you should probably um, define that. So you've, you've looked at this stuff so many times. It's really, really quite breathtaking. Um, that there are ways to do this well, there are ways to do this poorly. Uh, you know, we're in an election year. I consider myself like the most apolitical human being on the planet. But when I stop and think about, okay, well, if I'm an average person and let's say that I'm really doing my best, I'm doing the blocking and tackling, I'm saving what I can save. Um, I've cut my expenses back. I'm, I'm earning, you know, what I can. Let's hope that they either have kept their job or were able to quickly get another job. Um, how should they be thinking? Like, what are, what is the right way to go through this deleveraging at a, um, a political level? Maybe politics isn't the right word, but like at, at a higher level. Well, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know what you want me to say. I think that uh, each person should understand that there's a certain level of basic understanding. First, take care of yourself. And then, you know, you hope that you have uh, smart people who I think will most important thing is that they're smart in being able to engineer an economy that will increase the size of the pie as well as divide the pie well. And then also um, that this is done in a non-antagonistic way. Um, smart people working together in a bipartisan way have the capacity of managing this well. So if I was giving political advice, and that's not what I do, but if I was giving political advice, the most important thing I think is um, who can do this, who's got the intelligence to do the engineering, plus to do it um, in a manner that we are not fighting with each other. That what history has shown us is that when things get difficult, people get stressed, and they get they can get angry and they could all fight with each other and that produces the next leg of a terrible economy because the economy won't work efficiently if people are fighting with each other the system doesn't work well so one would have to say um, you know who's going to bring the country together behind sensible i would say bipartisan programs because if you don't have that then you have a form of revolution and you don't have good management. And that's the greatest risk, I would say, politically. So looking at the historical perspective, um, who has done this well? And then what have been mistakes that have led to literal revolution? 
when you say who has done it well, what do you mean? Um, what countries or what periods of time has going through this kind of crisis been managed well so that we come out the other side with as little sort of um, pain and suffering as possible? Well, an example of well would be the differences in um, the way Roosevelt did it. Um, so again, 1929 to 32, interest rates hit zero. They print money. We had a large wealth gap. And then they sat down and they figured out how do we keep it orderly and how do we change the circumstances with um, whether it's taxes or um, how do you reorganize it so that the system works well. There is a risk also at the same time because the world is going through that. There's a risk of conflict. So in Germany, Hitler came in power in 1933 and he came in power in 1933 because there was a lot of internal fighting as to to try to bring produce order because everybody, the left and the right, you know, the communists and the fascists, and they're all fighting about wealth because everybody's fighting about wealth when you have a downturn. And then they need the they were democracies Four democracies existed then that chose not to be democracies because they became so disorderly that they wanted some strong leader to take charge and run the country. And then, of course, we had a bunch of strong, those types of leaders, and then they had a war. That's how World War II happened. So when you look at that, uh, you know, th that's kind of the political landscape. But back to the average man in terms of his finances, I would say the important thing is those three elements, to have a plan and maybe to have a plan with uh, both your family. You know, um, how do you get down uh, when things got tough and, and, you know, and then you have to look at, um, you know, what happens in policy. Well, policy um, is a, depends on the person. Some people would understand more about policy than other people. If, if you know, so it depends so, on uh, so, what they should do. It depends on what they're able to do well. As we um, sort of step back and start taking a longer view of this, what's the role that you see education playing in? I've sort of, when I grew up, it was just assumed I was going to go to college. Um, I did go to college and I would have for a very long time told everybody they should be going to college. Now I've sort of cooled off on that in terms of the debt that people are getting into. I know you and your wife are working a lot in the school system there in Connecticut. Um, how do you... How do you think about that? What's the importance of education in, you know, when, when we start thinking about protecting um, successive generations, how much of that comes down to education? Uh, education is, is the most important thing. Um, I, I was um, raised with a very modest economic background. My dad was a jazz musician. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Um, and But I was lucky to have uh, parents who cared for me and I went to a public school and I got a good education and I came out to a world of equal opportunity. And I believe that those are fundamental necessities that, um, that you have to know how to have an education of, you know, facts like, um, you have to know how to read, write and arithmetic. But you also um, have to know how to behave well with others, to be a good citizen, operate in a civil way, to be able then to go into jobs. And that those that education um, can be um, anything that works. I think the big thing is, you know, three big things on, on what I think work should be. Um, uh, make your work and your passion the same thing and make it economic. If, if, if it works, that you love your work, you'll probably be better at your work. Um, and then you find the, um, so you, you want those things. And then, the, then there's the economics of it. And so it could be anything from learning um, trades, um, um, whatever it may be. Education certainly does not have to be college. College is... Uh, overemphasized. 
and um, having a, a good productive career. When I watch the, these remarkable people who are on the front lines of dealing with this virus situation, and I look at them, the some of the greatest people are the people who have the capabilities of doing certain things that are not have nothing to do with going to college, and they're on the front lines and they're contributing a lot. And so we, uh, so in education and civility, but that means that there has to be equal opportunity. So yes, what my wife and I have done um, is um, we're particularly um, um, heartbroken or disenchanted with um, poverty affecting um, children in and high school students having the equal opportunity of education. So our particular focus in Connecticut, um, we made a, a donation, a large donation, a hundred million dollar donation to the state of Connecticut for them to match um, and are working to get those um, students uh, through high school and, but it could be trade school um, and into jobs and to be able to be uh, productive. So you look at all societies and it, these are the things that matter most. The society um, becomes a fairer society when there's equal opportunity for education and also it becomes a more productive society because the opportunities when extended throughout the whole population means that you get more people on the basis of merit. Right now, that system is not operating in a good, effective way. For example, people in the top 40% of income will spend about five times as much money on their children's education than those in the bottom 60%. And that's, not, that's, that's neither fair nor productive. So I think that these types of questions are gonna have to be examined by policymakers in a bipartisan way as we go through this. But yes, in answer to your question, you know, it really starts with good total education, the good raising of children in terms of their actual formal education and their informal education, and then going out and having an environment of equal opportunity. So one thing that I know you have leveraged to tremendous effect, and this is the very thing I took from principles that changed my life, is um, to stress test your ideas, to put them out there, to ask, how do I know I'm right? So like I said, I've, I've really been losing sleep over how I can be most helpful in um, helping people navigate um, all of what's happening. And, and I have come to a conclusion that could be pure delusion. And I would love to know what you think. It's along the lines of education, which is why I was asking about that. So my obsession is skill acquisition. I think that, so the advice that I've been giving to people, if you've lost your job or not, like we have spent probably the last 10 years, maybe more in an employee ease market. They've really had the selection. They've been able to put a lot of pressure on employers. And now you're seeing a flip and you're seeing this is going to be an employer's market. Um, there's going to be a lot of people. Obviously, there's north of 30 million now. It's going to be a lot of people looking for work. And my thing is, if you want to get your ideal job, you want to make your passion something that you're able to pursue, you've got to be able to outperform other people. And I would say the same thing to a kid that's coming up, somebody that's about to graduate, whatever, like you've got to be better than the next person. You've got to build a skill set that allows you to excel. And my thing is like you, you are living proof of one simple thing. If you can outperform people, there really is no cap to how far you can go. You put your money where your mouth is when it comes to an investment strategy, obviously with Bridgewater, um, you guys have just outperformed people. It's really been quite extraordinary. And yes, people need to save. Yes, they need to um, focus on where uh, you know they're getting their income from. Um, they need to practice austerity measures, all of that. But ultimately, people can propel themselves forward if they're out there learning, growing, getting better, pushing, I would go so far as to say, even being aggressive to try to continue to move up. Um, but it comes down to recognizing that skills have utility. They actually let you do something. They let you out invest somebody. They let you build a better house or a better bridge. Um, and so what I want to see people do through this time, I, I just think most people will be obliterated mentally. They're going to get scared. They're going to panic. They're not going to be able to think clearly and they won't put themselves on a path to excel.
Um, so wonder what, what am I missing there? Because I know that people don't, that is not a popular thing to say right now. That's something that I get a lot of negative feedback from people. It's like basically pull yourself up by your bootstraps. So I'd love to understand like where the flaw is in that thinking, um, where, when you talk about the, um, there not being equal opportunity, one, what can people do to write that ship at a personal level? I get, I get at the higher up systemic, the way that we address it through policy and things like that. But at a personal level, is there, is there something? You guys know I have a very strict diet that I stick to, except for very special occasions. And I do that so that I can bring my best every day to what I'm doing. And a big part of that strict diet is high quality animal protein and my go-to source of trustworthy meats and seafoods with no added hormones or antibiotics ever is ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood all directly to your door. I cannot recommend ButcherBox enough. When you eat ButcherBox, you are giving your body the best possible building blocks to work with so you can reach your full potential. You've got to take care of yourself at a cellular level if you want to hit your peak consistently. So ButcherBox is the key. Sign up at butcherbox.com impact and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off, and that means you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com impact and use code impact to choose your free-for-a-year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You will never be able to reach your full potential if you are riddled with stress and have a lot weighing on your mind. I can tell you from my own experiences with stress and negative thought loops, you have to find a way to work through whatever it is that's weighing on you if you're going to have any hope of achieving your goals. Therapy can be an option for working through things and for an online therapy option that is super convenient and flexible, be sure to check out BetterHelp. With BetterHelp, everything is 100% online and getting started is quick and easy. A brief questionnaire matches you with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no extra charge. Get things off your chest, process through things with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash impact theory today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash impact theory. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you want to have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. Something people can do. Well, I think you're exactly right. I think that uh, that, uh, though, is short of specifics and, um, you know, that particular action. And the question is, um, who can help them? So, yes, um, if they're wily and hardworking and clever enough, they still need triangulation and help to find out where is the training program what is that skill they they can't do it alone 
They have to do it with the help. I um, And I would recommend, you know, I did two 30 minute videos. One is principles for success at 30 minute YouTube video. And it's about an approach to life that a lot of people, something like 14, I don't know, a lot of people have seen this. And I would say, um, it's worth your 30 minutes, I think, in terms of an approach to life. And then there's also, if you're interested in the economy, I did a 30-minute video, How the Economic Machine Works, in 30 minutes. And that had a lot of views, more 14 million, I think. And it was liked. So um, I can't tell them in this very brief interview how we're going to exactly who will get them that training and that capability, but I think you're right, skill that you love, that sells, is what you need. Now you go to, each person has their own particular way of possibly getting that. To some case, it might be a um, start low in an organization and work your way up. To some cases, it may be a government training program. To some, in some cases, it may be a relative or a friend who can get you going and so on. Uh, as I said, one of my main principles is there's always a path out there. You just don't happen to see the path now. So you have to find the path. If you find that path and you can't find it alone, the way you find that path is to speak to other people, get many ideas by other people. And then you know, you have to keep yourself trial and error. You got to keep at it. Like when you're getting a job or getting a skill, it's a lot of trying. And so that requires a certain amount of discipline. And if you have a discipline problem, get help with the discipline problem. Have somebody kick you out of bed or whatever it is that um, you can get there. There is a path. You just don't see the right path at the moment. And you can because there are many, many paths. The most important thing, I think, is to know your nature. What is your nature? What is what, what are your strengths and weaknesses and your likes and your dislikes? And once you know that, then you also think, what are the fits? Oh, I would like that job, and the job could pay me well. And then you figure out, okay, how do you do it? How do I get to it? But there are different people in different circumstances, so I can't answer them all now. Yeah, um, I agree with you. So I want to go back. One, thank you for the feedback that I'm, I was being super vague. Uh, I think that's really helpful. So let's start getting really specific as much as we can, knowing that people are going to be sort of at very different places as they're hearing this. Um, but I think this will be helpful. So one, the video that you're talking about, and I'll speak for you and correct me where I go astray, but I watched the video multiple times. think it's really extraordinary. And basically to put it in a really small nutshell, it's basically go out, try things, fail a lot, learn and keep progressing. And that that's basically, if I remember right, you have like this sort of circular ascent. Um, and it's, from the failing and the learning that you ultimately make the progress. But if you put your head down, you don't want to see your mistakes. You don't want to see the flaws in your thinking. You're going to trap yourself at a plateau and you're never going to be able to push beyond that. So you've got to seek out disconfirming evidence. You have to seek out where you're weak. And in fact, one thing I will, I sort of disagree. I get what people mean. So when you say know your nature, I will say by nature. Before you get to that second part, let me just on the thing, yes, it's the looping and learning from mistakes, but it, 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 another part of it is the realization that you don't have to make your decisions in your own head, okay? That when you start to realize that you know what you're good at and what you're bad at, that a power comes to you when you start to know, uh, okay, who's the best person to give me the advice or who's the best person to lead me through this or when you start to know that you can go beyond what you think and your opinionatedness so that you can triangulate I call it triangulate with others so that you find three people who are really capable of giving you good advice who will argue with each other and argue with you so you can see all sides of it and you work yourself through. 
So it's not just your eyes looking for the path, but it's other people's eyes looking with the path with you, knowing that you're going to have uh, successes and failures. But that power of that collective learning and triangulate well with humbleness is a great power as you go through that cycle. I love that. So um, I'll push that a step further and, and I will say this. So I'm going to be super blunt to anybody watching right now. And Ray, if you think that I'm wrong, I trust that you will jump in. No one is coming to save anybody. And that's the hard truth. And if I look at history and even if I listen, which I've listened to literally every word that you've said on this subject publicly anyway, that th this is just going to suck. Like there is going to be a, a level of brutality that most of us have not experienced in our lives. Companies are going to go under. People are going to lose their jobs. There are going to be people that are going to struggle to find their next meal. And what, what I want people to understand is just like you just said, you can triangulate, you can get people to help you think through, but I want them to understand that they can do that in a book at a library. They can do that online if they still have access to the internet, which as of right now, even just going to the library, you can get access to being online. You changed my life before you and I ever met. I read your book. I'd never, I didn't even know who you were at that point. And somebody just said, Hey, you've got to read this book. It's got really powerful ideas on trust and creating these hard principles out of all your mistakes. I read it, immediately recognized that this aligned with what I call the physics of being human. It was so in line with removing my blind spots, getting people, acknowledging that other people are better than me at certain things. And so while I take uh, a little bit of an exception, because I, I think that you can't say what you're good and bad at until you've been at this for a long time. You've been trying, you've been pushing, you're learning, you're failing. Because by nature, I'm lazy. I, I am not very bright. I think there are people that can process raw data far faster than I can. But I'm willing to admit when I'm wrong. I'm willing to admit that I don't know. I'm willing to admit when I make a mistake. And because of that, because I go in that cycle that you talk about of making a mistake, looking nakedly at it, not pretending I didn't screw up, asking people to point out my flaws, and then going, and now I'm going to have to do what is called deliberate practice to get better at that thing. And I don't just ask, and I don't think people can afford right now to just say, oh, what do I want to do? We're, for a lot of people, this is going to be Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You need safety, you need security, you need food, shelter. And I think it's going to come to that. And so recognizing there are people out there right now that know more than you. You are going to make a mistake, but those mistakes are huge learning opportunities. You have to admit that you made one. You have to seek people that can help you remove those blind spots. And then you have to put in the work to get better. Does any of that sound yeah. crazy? No, that, that's totally, totally right. And then um, it comes from once you have a fear that you might be wrong, but you have still the audaciousness and courage to go forward, you're a lot smarter than the person who thinks they know. There's a, there's a quote that Jefferson said, he who knows he knows not is closer to the truth than he whose mind is filled with falsehoods. And, and so when you know that, and, with, and then with your character and your determination, you go forward. The smartest people I know are the most humble. It, what, the more you learn, the more you realize, oh, I'm eager to take in. So that's right. Um, but back on your audience, I, I think your audience ranges from, um, you know, there's a wide range that you have in your audience. And I would say that there are many people in your audience who can plan for a simple lifestyle that can be wonderful. Sometimes we acquire these needs that aren't at anywhere near as big as, as we make them out to be. And, you know, um, do you have a bed to sleep in? Do you have food to eat? Do you have basic health care? Okay, if you start to think, okay, what are my needs that I really need and I'm okay. And how can I make provisions for those needs? Then once you've got that in your mind, you're, you're free, okay? You, you can go beyond that. You, uh, that. you may say, listen, oh, I can do that for a year or two years or a month or whatever. But you, I think we visualize too much 
the things that we're used to. One of the good things about this exercise is that you can bring, it brings you back to basics. You can be brought to basics. And like I'm saying, if you have a bed to sleep in and you've got food and so on, and you have those basics and, and good relationships with people who care about you and basic health care. So if you budget for that and you figure how do you have it, maybe it isn't in the luxurious place you're in. Maybe it's in the country and so on. Once you visualize that and you get that down in your head and you say, oh, I can get that then your stress will disappear because you, as you visualize that, in many ways, that's a happy life. It doesn't take a lot to, there's stimulation, there's nature, there's relationships. These fundamental, wonderful things, the most important things can be obtained. And so for many of you, I think if you look at that and you budget for that, I'm seeing a number of people um, who are, um, going broke. Uh, and and I've watched this over many years. And really, it's just the adjustment process. When the, Once they get to that point where, ah, you know, they have, they get settled, they're fine. It's the ambiguity. It's the worry. It's the stress. So if you do that from the beginning and you have that, that played out in your head, then you know everything from there you can play with and it's your it's uh, icing on the cake. So yeah, I want to yeah. emphasize you can budget for that. You can look at that. Find that scenario. Find what that looks like so that you know you've got it down. Then you know you're safe. Once you've got safe, everything beyond that is luxury. I forget who the Greek um, philosopher was, maybe you remember, that used to go and he would sleep on the street like once a month or something like that in shabby clothing because he wanted to remind himself, oh, this is what I'm afraid of. And this thing isn't that bad. I mean, I always found that interesting. I take a slightly different approach. I think that is really powerful. And I think that's an important anchor for people. So my wife and I always say to each other, because look, we have been dirt poor um, and we have now been very wealthy. And all along the journey, we've always said to each other, look, man, if I have you, like, Everything else, I'm good. So literally, there are only two things I'm legitimately afraid of. There are things I don't want, but there are two things I am legitimately afraid of. Brain damage, because then I cannot build my way back. I can't have the level of fulfillment and joy that I want. And losing my wife, because a life shared to me is like the, the highest importance. Now, having said that, I'm going to set all that aside. And I, I hope people heard you, and I hope that they take it to heart to paint a lifestyle that they can love. And it's beautiful, but it's simple. Um, and you know they don't have all this overhead hanging over them. But I know thyself, as you were saying. Know what you're good at and what you're not. I've always told people, if you want a calm, peaceful life, I'm not your guy. There, there is somebody else for you to go listen to um, and, and follow that journey. If, if you want to be aggressive and you want to build something that matters to you, I don't need it to be big. I don't need it to be a business, whatever. I just People that want to express themselves, that want to get great, they want to become extraordinary at something, that's what I'm far more interested in. And so the way that I look at it is right now, it's a time where economically the chessboard has, has been flipped over. But in, in that moment, there's going to be opportunity created. And for people that, and this, my central thesis is what I said earlier, panic is the problem. People cannot allow themselves to panic, which is why I like what you're saying. Don't, don't worry if, you're, if you lose everything, right? As long as you have the things that really matter to you. And I think that's important so people don't panic, so they can be clear-headed. So they can figure out where the opportunities are and then they get the skill set that they need to capitalize on that opportunity, which for me is like when I and that's why I keep saying I'm losing sleep over like how do we get information out so that I've worked in the inner cities a lot and to get the information to somebody out there that they can triangulate, right? That that's not a rich upper class exercise. That's a the, the information is out there. It's been put in books, on a website, in a podcast. Like the, the number of the world's greatest thinkers right now that you could be taking this information from, but you have to be willing to test it. You have to be willing to incorporate it and actually act on it and do something. So I'm not clear what's your question about that? It, not so much a question is I, I'm, I'm presenting what I think are ideas that I want people to run with 
partly I'm hoping if there is a flaw in my thinking, I want you to point it out. So going back to the need for specificity. So um, we're talking about there isn't equal opportunity because there's not equal um, access to education, which I will take as the core of your thesis for generationally moving forward in a useful way. True? It's, it's a core piece, yeah. Okay, so what I'm saying is I really hope that that gets addressed and I will certainly do whatever I can. You're obviously uh, doing a massive amount there. But I also want people to not wait for someone to make that change. I want them to realize right now today they can go and learn something. They can educate themselves. You said that it's not about college. It's about getting a skill that lets you live a fulfilling, a fulfilling meaningful life um, with a meaningful career. And so I want to see people take action. But if there is a flaw in that thinking, I want to know. No, no. Um, I don't think, of course, I think it's totally right. I think uh, then the issue is going to the next step for the particulars of actually um, helping somebody. And, um, and there's a combination of not only what they can do themselves, uh, but finding others who will help to take them by the hand and help to provide that guidance uh, to be able to do that. All right, so uh, finding a job, let's say, you know, you think, okay, how do you find a job? So it, it, you have to be specific. Uh, so what we could say, great, find a skill. Okay, great. But literally, how do you go about finding that skill? Let's talk and about so, that. So one thing you've yeah. talked about from an um, investing standpoint is when this begins to happen and monetary policy begins to break down, uh, won't spend a lot of time describing a fiat currency, but essentially money that isn't associated to anything like gold. So you've broken that. So you said that it gets reassociated because gold has intrinsic value or rocks because it's used to build things. So what is looking at the historical perspective? What are things that are safe bets in terms of this job is going to be here in five years, that this is a, a good place to begin building that skill set? You're talking about the skill set, not the investment, I guess. Yeah, skill set. I think that that's maybe more useful for people if they've just lost their job and, you know, they're sort of just trying to make ends meet at this point. Well, in terms of, um, I think in terms of any environment, the lessons that we get over and over again is that you can't be sure what the next environment and twists and turns are. What you don't know is greater than anything you do know. So if, if you were in the airline business or you were in the hospitality business um, and that was wonderful and you liked it and everything else, all of a sudden that changed in important ways. So the important thing more, are the more general abilities. In terms of investing, what that means is you need to know how to diversify well. That's the most important thing. In terms of any aspect in life, to know how to deal with what you don't know is more important than anything you know because the world is so much more surprising than you can really be sure of. So in a general say, sense for skills, I mean, I think, uh, and skills are part of your, what, what are your environment. You know, find out those things that, um, are, that are self-sufficient and maintain uh, flexibility. You have to know how to maintain flexibility and change well. If your career is in one area, um, you have to know how this, you have to develop the skill for changing a career. And that all comes down to knowing how to find the path, to know how to triangulate well with others. I want to talk so, about that. You've done such an extraordinary job, Ray. I, I, I truly stand in awe of being able to go and learn a new area, a new um element of the world, when you announced that you were going to be taking this historical view and that you were going to go backwards, I mean, something like a thousand years or however far you went back, um, how do you begin that research process? So for somebody that's like, I want to invest my time wisely, what is sort of a high level way that you approach learning in general? Well, for, for me, um, it's a lot of the alignment of the three things that I said before. What is my passion? Um, then, you know, knowing my nature, what is my passion? Um, and can I align my work to my passion? 
And then uh, does it pay adequately for me to take care of my needs? And for me, um, I'm, I do that because it's my passion, um, you, you know? And so when you find your passion that's aligned with your work, if you can do that. But how do you go about learning something new? So when you started researching the historical context of what we're going through now, is it picking up books? Is it? Um... Well, for me, you see, I have been, my nature is I'm extremely curious. Okay. And I love my game. My game is to learn about the world, interact with the world and bet on it. And I'm very curious. So it, so it might be whatever your game is, like you've got a game. Okay. That's why we're, you're interviewing me because that's your passion. That's your game. And if you can line those three things up but, and you know your nature, because there, if you know your nature, you can find your role. You want to find the right role for you, right? It's not just go get a job and, you know, it might say, I would like to be um, an architect. Well, I mean, you have to know your nature and then you can find your role. And so I'm, I'm hesitant to say that m what is true for me is true for somebody else. So when you ask me what, you know, like, okay, those are my big things, uh, meaningful work and meaningful relationships, like relationships matter a huge amount to me. So if I can have a work that feeds my curiosity that um, I'm passionate about and that uh, pays me adequately. And, you know, and I do that uh, with great people. Those are the things that feed me. And so you have to know those things that feed you. Like I like the big picture. Somebody might like uh, details. You know, the, I, I, you know, you have to pick those things that are for your nature and, and align those things I'm talking about. And how did you specifically go about starting this big research project? Did it start with a book? Did it start with reaching out to historians? No, no. It's I mean, in a sense, the journey started out when I was 12 years old and I caddied. And I um, and, and then I uh, I took my caddying money and I had newspaper route and I did a number of things like that. I took my odds and ends and I uh, put it in the stock market, and, you know. And um, and then I and and I got hooked on the game. Do you ever think I, about the nature of questions in that process? Like that. So I think it was Tony Robbins that said, "If you ask a better question, then you're going to get a better answer." And basically, questions are going to control the outcome. Um, do you focus on what question you're asking and trying to answer, or is it something completely different than that? Questions, questions. That's right. It's the hunger to know. You'll you'll notice it different in people. There will be people who, wow, you listen, good question, good question, good question. Then there will be people who can't ask questions, that they're just telling you what they think. They almost you think they're acting smart they think they're acting smart and they're the stupid ones the smart ones are oh question now how do i go i have to find the answer to the question next question because the questions and the power and the pull to answer those questions and so on is the thing that drags you forward and it's excitement do you have a pull okay what's your pull you know, so, um, yeah, it's all in questions, I think. It's all in a journey. Life is in a journey, an adventure. That's why I'm trying to say in, in principles in, uh, for success. Or you can get, by the way, principles, um, any of these principles are also principles in action is an app that's available on the iStore, iStore and it's free. And it has all of these things in it, but it, uh, so I don't, I, you know, cause we'll, we'll separate. Um, I think people might like that, but you know, have to know your pull and then along the way, you're going to have your adventure and you're going to learn. And then you go through your phases of life and each phase is different. Like you talked about your phase, you're in the middle of your phase in life. You talked about your wife, 
and your relationship with her, okay? That is a phase of life. And when you go, and by putting it in perspective, it's helpful. Um, in the back of that book, uh, Principles for Success, there's a life arc chart. And if you know where you are on that life arc, and you know what the next 10 years is typically like, and you know what the people you care about are on their life arcs, you can almost know what's coming at you and then you could start to think about it. So it's at that level of knowing yourself and knowing how these things happen over and over again that you can achieve your path. Don't be surprised. Most life is is the same things that happen over and over again. You're born, you probably have parents to take, take care of you. Maybe you have one, maybe you have two, but somebody does. They teach you. You have your first phase of your life where you're dependent on them and you're learning. Then you come out to your second phase of your life and then you're working and others are dependent on you and then you have that. So these things happen over and over again and, and you just have to know that path and know how to approach it. So really fast before I let you go, you're working on a new book, The New World Order, um, which I find very fascinating, and you've been publishing some of the chapters on LinkedIn. Um, what do you think the odds are, just to, to really go back to the finance side of this, um, what do you think the odds are that America remains the reserve bank and the reserve currency, um, and if it's not us, who do you think it will be? Uh, well, all currencies eventually die and all empires eventually diminish in their other empires. And the question is essentially the pace of what, how that happens. I think that, um, but for most of your listeners, it's most likely going to happen in a way that's tolerable if you can manage it well. Think about the decline of the British Empire and you see a people who are living in London and so on. It's not that the world blows up. It's that they have to readapt and they know how to readapt. And so I think that um, we're going to come through more difficult times. I think the next three to five years will be difficult times in ways that haven't existed in their lifetime, but has existed in other periods of time, like the 1930 to 45 period. So to be able to adapt well, to invent yourself again, to adapt and to navigate that maybe with a perspective of knowing what those other times were like is the best thing to do. So the reason I'm doing that series on LinkedIn is to help people understand what those times are like and then uh, help them be prepared. The reason I wrote the book Principles is so that it's it's a particular approach because the same things happen over and over again for basically the same reasons. And once you get that and you have the self-discipline to know how to play the game well, then you'll be fine. So um, one, where can people connect with you right now? And then I have one last question that I want to ask. Well, I'm, um, as I say, I'm on social media and um, we um, and I'll interact with people on social media on the, the standards, you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, Face, uh, uh, Facebook and Instagram by and large. Um, but the more the most uh, valuable stuff is if you go to uh, principles dot com, you can get the whole pile or or I would say that, um, so those places, you know, so. As this next three to five year um, part of the cycle hits us, what is one thing that people can do um, that you know from the historical perspective will most um, insulate them from the the probably emotional um, and maybe financial damage, whatever you think is more important? Well, the the things that I thought about, some of the things I mentioned earlier, the plan for uh, the worst case scenario and make it terrific is one of the things. Um, the understanding how to triangulate well to deal with whatever problems that you're going to face and how to work that through to find the path and find your nature. But also, uh, one thing that's helped me a lot is meditation. That uh, it, um, me- Meditation gives you a calmness, an equanimity, so that you can almost look at your circumstances and you can navigate it with a clarity of thought without all of that stress. It's healthy because it reduces stress and it also makes you smarter to make the decisions well. 
So I would say that that would also be something that I would recommend because if, if, if you have the equanimity, that centeredness, that calm centeredness, and you have your plan and you triangulate well with others so that you can get all the best advice and don't have to approach it in your own head, you know, you're a long way there. I love it. Ray, thank you so much for taking the time to hang out today. I really, really appreciate it, man. And thank you for everything that you're putting out there. Um, you have definitely been one of the people that I've used to triangulate my own views and think through all this stuff. So I really appreciate it, man. Well, you're, you're giving a great service to your listeners, and I'm happy to be part of that. Thank you. Th thank you for what you're doing. Oh, man. Easy. Guys, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.